Previously on the original podcast name, Do Not Steal. I'm going to lay out two film franchises, and I want you to tell me which you think is more important to our friendship specifically, and that is Godzilla. Okay. Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Um, I think that to me, the more important one in our friendship is Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Um, that is correct. Yeah. But it, yes, God, those movies really set the tone for the course of our friendship. Anyways, that has nothing to do with today's episode. What are we talking about today? That is nothing. Wait, Devin, why did you bring it up? <laughs> Because I'm planting the seeds. You're, oh, you're planting the seeds. Got it. I'm planting the seeds. It's set up. And Eagle, it's going to be payoff later. Eagle-eyed listeners. The, the diehard are fans of like, every episode. Are going to be like, holy shit, they really, they really wanted it. So, Amber, here's the deal. Yeah. I fucking hate trans people. <laughs> you were like, I don't want to give away the cold open until we started to live on air. You, Elliot, Hans, Taylor, Elliot, your sister, uh-huh. Kieran, yep, someone else I'm forgetting, Elliot Page, you're all on my shit list. Oh, you, oh, you like trans people? Name ten of them. <laughs> I've had sex with a few of those people I listed. Like hate sex? Was that fun for everybody? It was hate sex? <laughs> yeah, because they're trans and I hate trans people. Was there a, like a follow-up to this joke? Was there like a... Or were you just saying the words, I hate trans people? Like that was the whole... That was all you had there. I just thought being like, man, I'm sick of these trans people would be a good... Welcome everyone to this. This is the 100th episode of the show. This is what you're doing. This is how you decided to... I had a cold open. I went on the record. I was like, Devin, I have a cold open. And he was like, oh, I also have a cold open. And I was like, oh, well, your cold open is probably better than mine. So let's just do that. And that's what he... That's what we landed on. What was your that cold... Was, what was your? What was yours going to be? Well, since it's the 100th episode and we usually sync these by, like, doing a clap, I was going to have us just, like, keep clapping. I was going to start with, like, a little bit of applause. And it was going to be, like, a self-congratulatory thing. And then we would just, I don't know, keep going until one of us was like, this is awkward that we're just two people applauding for so long. I don't know. I was going to figure out where I went from there. but um, Which I will admit is not that good, which is why I assumed yours would be better. But um, I hate trans people. <laughs> That's so embarrassing for you. It's on audio forever on one of our most important episodes on the show. Neither of us had a good cold open for the 100th episode. We haven't even said we're we're live. We're in person. This is the first time we've ever recorded one of these in person. Hello, everyone. My name is Amber Autumn. She, her. I'm Prince Devin. He, him. And I am so excited to announce that for the first time since doing this podcast, since the beginning of this podcast, Devin and I are currently in the same room as each other. I am looking into his... Um, a beautiful brown eyes and uh, making psychic connections um, and reading his brain about how much he hates trans people. I don't know how much that's going to like affect the, the timbre of the episode or like the chemistry between us or whatever. I guess we're all going to find out together, but um, uh, happy 100. We made it to 100. We've done 100 full episodes of this show. I really felt like when we started it. 
I don't know, like, it's another project that I'm starting. You know how we all have a good 100,000 projects that we've started and nobody ever likes to finish a project? And this is very convenient because it's not, like, a project that, like, needs, like, a fit, you know? It just, like, is ongoing. And so we've been doing this for, like, 100 episodes. It's, like, a little bit less embarrassing now in some ways that I'm, like, like, it's not, like, a thing that I just started this week, you know? Like, we've had this podcast going for... 100 episodes. Have I mentioned that it's a 100th episode yet? We have a catalog. We have lore. We have characters and bits. If you have a property that you like, we've done, I mean, well, I guess no matter who you are, there's a property that you like in our catalog. What are we doing for the 100th episode? So, you had a little bit of setup in one of the previous episodes. I don't remember which one it was that you did the I setup in. I believe it's Marvel TV. Okay. Well, um, one of the episodes earlier in the season, possibly Marvel TV, you can go back and check us on that um, and tell us that we're wrong, possibly, um, uh, where you like opened the episode by saying, hey, Amber Autumn, which, which like franchise would you say is the most important franchise in our friendship, um, Godzilla or... Um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man and I said Sam Raimi Spider-Man and you agreed um, and I guess today is the day when we spill the secrets about why that is which is not actually that exciting of a story um, but no, Avid, I, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut <laughs> okay, you off yeah. because here's the thing to this one is gonna be so much uh, Amber and I discussed this off air but this episode is gonna be a mix of us talking about Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy and also just talking about our friendship <laughs> as yeah. it exists so like we need to talk about the old bit we used to have where we, like, we viewed our lives as a series of television. Oh, God, that's really true. Yeah, okay. So that was a whole thing we had, just understanding our lives in terms of a TV show that was, like, being watched and produced and made, and we'd have that conversation. Like, the show gets really meta when we do this. But one of the <laughs> things was the recurring bit was the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy and how it showed up in our lives, and it has a fucking peak. It has a peak in the <laughs> in the film of our lives that happens when you go to college. So, no, this story is exciting. <laughs> Devin and I, uh, the avid listeners of the podcast will know that we met in um, Doctor Who Club in our in our high school because we were very cool and got laid a lot. And uh, <laughs> it's actually, I said that as like one layer of a joke without realizing that was going to apply to the next thing I was going to say as well. Because the first time that we hung out outside of Doctor Who Club was in the situation where Devin had this huge crush mm. on this red haired girl who was a lesbian. Um, and also, uh, later, would I think she turned out to be, like, a Nazi or something. That's not relevant no. to the story. <laughs> it's a no. different person. That's a different, that's a different girl that you also had a crush on. Don't put that on Aaron. Okay, great. That is a different person. I don't know. It's not like I had her name. I'm not I'm not printing libel about anyone here. <laughs> you separately had a crush on a Nazi girl at some point. But this in this particular instance, it was a red-haired girl, um, and she was gay. And uh, Devin was really broken up about it. And so one day after Doctor Who Club, the this is the first time that the two of us hung out outside of school. We walked back to um, my dad's house, to the basement, where the two of us are currently sitting right now as we speak. Um, and we watched Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1. And we riffed over it. And every time Mary Jane showed up on screen, um, we made a joke about her being gay. And how Peter just wasn't that into her. <laughs> which may have been insensitive of us at the time, possibly. I'm not sure. But we're both gay now, so it's fine. It's retroactively <laughs> fine. Respect, it's fine. And that's, that's our friendship, baby. <laughs> I really, like... Like, it did sort of become a whole thing from there. Because, like, I know that sort of sounds like, oh, that was the thing you did one time. And, like, maybe it was the first thing. But, like, I don't know. There's a lot of friends who, like, I don't remember what the first thing I did with that friend is, even outside of school. 
Um, but that like became a thing for us where we, this was like in the really early days of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it like was not the cultural juggernaut that it is now. Mm -hmm. It like, like I, I think this may even have been pre Avengers. It was right around Avengers, certainly. Um, and no, it's after Avengers because after? you all went to see Avengers before I was part of the friend group. Okay. Well, at any rate, that's around the time period that we're working with here. And um, so Devin and I sort of made it a project where we, um, for the next several years, would like ongoing do like a riffing all of the Marvel movies project. But like that didn't mean the MCU movies. Like we did all of the same Spider movies. Before. Both of the Fantastic Fours, the Ghost Riders. Um, did we do Daredevil ever? We, I think we did Elektra. We did Elektra. We carried this into college, and I remember for years, I was like, I can't wait till we do Punisher Warzone, because I'm not going to say anything, but damn, Punisher Warzone I don't even know ass. if we ever did Punisher Warzone. we have to do Punisher Warzone still? Is that still, like, on our ledger? <laughs> That's not, like, a thing that we're doing. Like, we haven't continued doing that for the last several years, but... I mean, Punisher Warzone is still hanging over. We can do it. <laughs> Much like the chandelier Punisher hangs from in the opening of that movie. But yeah, I, I think that it lays so much of the groundwork for what the friendship's gonna be. Both of our, like, humor sensibilities, our, like, emotional intimacy and comfortability around each other, and also talking about media. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of, what, like a we lot of what we do. <laughs> so much of, like, the... Um, uh, like long walks that we would go on in in South Bend, Indiana, at like three a.m. or whatever. Like we're like, essentially this podcast. We're essentially this podcast. <laughs> like you know, it would take different forms. Sometimes it would be like, how would you design the movie poster for this property? Or it would be, um, how would you? I remember uh, that one because that was specifically make movie posters for our campaigns. And for, the, yeah, the, 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 the poster you came out for our Star Wars campaign was fucking good. I don't even remember what that was. Uh, I was you would you said it in like a space battle, and you were very adamant about like there's no up and down in space. So like depending on where you're looking at, and like the up and down shifts based on like character focus and stuff. Oh, that's and cool like, as hell. Yeah, it was good looking. <laughs> that's why I remember it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And yeah, the, like the format this podcast ultimately took ended up like sort of just being um, OC focused because I like, like kind of arbitrarily, it was like a thing to center it around, but it's, it's all kind of been variations on let's talk about media and characters within media for the last fucking... 10 years? 10 years of friendship? Thereabouts? Yeah. About 10 years? We've known each other for a hot minute. Uh, that means that today we are going to be talking about um, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, which, for the record... Um, Good. We are currently... We're recording this... What time is this right now? Is it... It's, it's what? Like midnight? It's, yeah, it's like midnight. It's 11.53 p.m. Um, and we have just spent the entirety of the day... <laughs> Watching. Right before this... Doing a triple feature of all of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, so this is the most fresh I I have ever been for one of these episodes. This this is both of the most fresh and probably the most slap happy we will ever get because we've never recorded in person, and this is <laughs> pretty late recording to start this with. This is pretty late for me. It's it's past my bedtime, but we just finished these fuckers like twenty minutes ago, so we're hot. I'm actually gonna get a drink of water real quick. I'm realizing that that may be important to do. It's much it. hotter here than it is in my usual recording space. <laughs> Where the fuck did we start? I fucking uh, Spider-Man One. I guess so. 
Amber, we just got done watching all three of the Spider-Man movies. How do you feel about how do you feel about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? They're good. So yeah, um, obviously, um, I think this is what we're probably everybody knows it, but just for the sake of the ritual of it all, um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Two, and Spider-Man Three are a series of 2002, 2004, and 2007 feature films directed by critically acclaimed horror director Sam Raimi, um, whose previous work included like The Evil Dead and whatever, um, etc., and a lot of like grindhouse horror shit. And uh, these movies uh, retain a lot of that while being kind of the Ur Spider-Man movies, right? Um, Spider-Man, of course, being the uh, classic superhero Peter Parker who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and then has to balance his like responsibilities of being a superhero with uh, all of his everyday normal like teenage kid living in New York and then college kid living in New York responsibilities. And the movies are good. They're good movies. <laughs> they're good. They're good. They're good films. The third one's a little complicated on that, but I even that, yeah, has its value. We before we've started the third movie, we all kind of agreed. Pretty sure it's not gonna be like a hidden gem, but it's not gonna be as bad as we remembered it, and that's pretty comfortably where I feel in the third movie. Yeah, that's um. Like, one of my big takeaways was really watching this in contrast to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which feels kind of, like, almost unfair. It's, like, a weird, like, I'm comparing it to a thing that happened afterwards. I'm, like, sort of reminded about how there's, like, an entire genre of movies that's, like, pre-9-11 movies that are, like, organized by the thing that came after them. Like, both of, we like the Marvel Cinematic Universe broadly. Both of us are, like, broadly pro-MCU people, as we've said multiple times on this show, but, like... There is something that I really felt watching this about the ways in which the MCU, like, requires you to have an action scene every, like, so many minutes, right? There are, like, all of these very polished needs that you get out of the MCU. And I, I like a lot of the movies that come out of that, but you, the, the, the franchise could never produce a set of movies like these movies, which really are just like character studies of Peter Parker going through a bunch of dog shit happening to him for two hours and 15 minutes. Um, he just has a shit ass time in these movies and it's awesome. I think each of the Spider-Man films is really good at like a uh, Spider-Man thing and that changes each time. But I think the thing Sam Raimi's trilogy is the best at that's like the classic spider-man thing is shitting on peter parker shitting on peter parker <laughs> you ruin that man's life every second this is the most parker luck ever it's on like screen that like video meme that's just like a montage of peter getting his shit kicked in <laughs> since like a hard knock life because it, it's true it's how it works the second movie especially he's just you're just shitting on that man <laughs> just pissing all throw over. conflict to this guy like a motherfucker everyone agrees great villain performances i think it's interesting how opposite ends of the spectrum willem dafoe and doc ock's performances are and how iconic they both are at the same time because willem dafoe is fucking going for it in mm -hmm. every scene to mm -hmm. 10 degrees and like Otto's smarmy Otto's a villain like that he gets that chemistry altered in his brain with the things and he's full on like i will peel the skin off of your girlfriend but he <laughs> he's so subtle with it there's still a humanity that gets to shine through every every few scenes and the lucidity of it makes it more of a tragedy it fucking they, they really were good at handling villains and then the third movie happens and you're not so good at handling the villains i really was wondering the entirety of spider-man 2 i was like what direction is he giving you to get this performance it is like insanely good and also 
I just couldn't figure out what direction you can possibly give to get that. Like, maybe Molina is just that good on his own. Like, fuck. He might be. He might be. <laughs> it's strange how fresh I am and how also I'm like, I don't know exactly. Because it's... I kind of need time to digest to really know what I'm going to say about a thing. And other than that, I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's good. These movies were really good. Rewatch them. It's a good time. Uh, but yeah, it's just slower than you'd expect but that allows you so much more time to just kind of sit in the who peter is and once you get to the who peter is you challenge the who of he who he is in ways that you know classic tried and true film stuff you have a internal conflict you have an external conflict that mirrors that in a way but hey if you do that you probably get a good fucking story and that's what these movies are really fucking good at it's i think the thing i want to zoom in this is just an observation i made a while ago, but I always felt like the conversation that Green Goblin has with Spider-Man where it's like, they want to see you fail. I was like, this comes out of fucking nowhere. But on a rewatch, that is Norman's story. He was exiled out of his company and like motherfuckers were preying on his downfall the whole time. So he has lived being the hero who fell from grace. And he's telling that to Spider-Man from an earnest place. Uh, I had another thought, but I lost it. Fucking Joe Magliano is in these movies. Joe Magliano is in these fucking movies. He's <laughs> Thompson. I lost my shit. I like there's so many famous people in this that when I watched these when I was a kid I didn't know they were Elizabeth Banks is Betty fucking Brandt. Octavia Spencer is like the lady who when Peter goes to the wrestling ring, um he like checks in with her and she's like what's your weight class? Like that's Octavia Spencer. She's so famous now and she's just like this minor fucking role and for like 3 seconds in Spider-Man 1. Yeah, very Scott Pilgrim-esque of just, like, these people. Yeah. Gotta be big. Yeah. So that, like, first movie, there's such a detail to the dynamics of fatherhoods and father relationships. So, like, the fact that Ha is born is a father figure to Peter means so much more than I ever gave it credit for watching as a kid. Because, like, some of that movie revolves around Harry's like unfulfilled relationship with his dad and like the ways in which Peter feels he failed as a son to uncle Ben. And so when that all comes around in the end and Harry and Norman's final line is don't tell Harry, fuck, it just sticks the landing really good. Also the action in these movies is goddamn incredible. It's such a, like a live environment with multiple things happening at once that Spider-Man has to deal with. They're also really good about remembering like the, area they're operating in like you're in a bank you're throwing money you're on top of a clock tower you throw the bits of the clock tower the the sand like <laughs> throwing the, money god damn <laughs> throwing money at peter it's perfect the poor it's bitch so fucking mean <laughs> just torturing peter every second it's i remember so much of the conversation around these movies was like the relationship drama is the worst part, and I... That's an insane take. That's a crazy take. It's like, this is not my favorite. Like, I don't think there's a lot of, like, chemistry cutesy I could make a ship edit to this, but there's so... It's rife with... Like, that third movie is just Peter, like, fucking up his relationship. And Peter's the one fucking it up. I really... The third one is the easiest one to talk about because it's kind of the most new... Like, all the others, they're just like, oh, it's really good. The fight scenes know how to tell a story well, but the third one is like, well... Mm. Yeah, the third one has, like, 
problems and also successes and like it has problems but they're not any of the problems that people fucking talk about it's crazy how <laughs> everyone was wrong i mean everybody was right but not for the right reasons yeah so so fuck we're talking about okay so when 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 spider-man doing dumb dance and hip i'm i'm, I'm doing the dance because i don't know how to describe it but he's you not know, doing the dance well but he's doing this dance. you know the <laughs> you just did the dance that doesn't fuck you you did the dance again like that was gonna clarify somehow no because you said i didn't do it well and i wanted to do it right but i you fuck it, you know the dance you you're listening to a spider-man one on this nerd podcast but like everyone in the audience was all of the people in the movie going, this is fucking stupid. You look like an asshole right all now. All the fucking people on the street in the movie were looking at him like, this asshole looks dumb. <laughs> He's such a dumb prick. He's supposed to look dumb in the scene. That is the exact feeling you were meant to elicit in an audience too well. And we all went, this is fucking stupid. He's being an asshole and it's on purpose. <laughs> He's an asshole that whole movie. Amber and I stumbled upon this thing where I said out loud, this movie is better without the symbiote. And Amber went, what if we pretend that the symbiote isn't in the movie and the movie's a lot better got so much better as soon as we started pretending that like like okay like there's this the thing where famously in this movie um uh, sam raimi didn't want to include venom because uh he just didn't give a shit about the character but it was uh, like what like studio notes or some shit he was like told to include venom and you can just like you can tell that venom doesn't need to be here and that his presence is just bloating the movie and adding a bunch of like narrative redundancy that doesn't need to be there. Because um, uh, the movie, before Peter ever puts the suit on, is about Peter becoming an asshole and having his villain art and being like more invested in what people think about Spider-Man than he is in like what he's doing to the, like, the relationships in his own actual life and those aren't always like handled perfectly like there's some executional problems in that um but like that's very much the clear intent of the work and then after that's all happening peter puts the suit on and they give like dr connors gives this hand wavy line where he's like oh the suit magnifies whatever properties the owner has especially aggression which is really just like Man, let your characters have fucking agency. Let them make their own choices. Like, it was clearly already just Peter is making bad choices that are hurting people around him, and that's interesting that he's doing that. And giving it, like, a magical space bug that's, giving that's like, mind-controlling him just removes all of his agency and makes it way less interesting. Let characters make mistakes. Oh, my God, let characters make mistakes. Please, God. It's, like, the number one thing that filmmakers get wrong. <laughs> let characters make mistakes. Yeah, it's... And, like... It just, it bloats things when fucking Venom is there and Topher Grace's voice is coming oh out God. of Venom's face. It's so bad. Like, uh, ev- like, everyone gets lost because you have to shoehorn in Eddie Brock and he's not interesting to be around. He's not engaging to be on screen, but he has to be there because the Venom hoodie has sold a billion dollars. Uh-huh. I would know. I've owned, like, three Venom hoodies over the course of my life. I have a Venom print hanging in my room because he looks cool. He looks cool! He looks cool. cool as fuck! Venom is fucking, like, 75% aesthetics, but that's a strong 75%. He's not interesting internally, but he's not betting on being interesting internally. He's threatening, and sometimes that's all you need a villain to be, but I don't know, maybe don't make artists include a thing that they're not interested in because it will be bad. <laughs> so um the the premise of the episode i think we had decided was that we are gonna do um uh, how we would do the fourth installment in the trilogy what would what would our spider-man 4 look like 
would our Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4, and obviously we can't, like, uh, you know, actually speak on behalf of another person, right, but it's, I guess, a question of what would we do with the fourth installment in this franchise trying to carry forward um, the, like, spirits of Sam Raimi, the, in, the, the, the underlying philosophy of the, the work up to this point? Sam Raimi goes, you're not going to let me do the vulture? I quit. And we go, we'll scab this. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happened? I figured that the third one just did really bad and they didn't decide to make another one. I think that's more of what it was. I don't. I, I yeah. didn't do my research before this episode went up. So we both came up with some loose ideas. Do you want to pitch yours first? Or do you want me to pitch mine first? Oh, God. Um, uh, I mean, so I was, I was basically going to start with... Because we're doing, instead of a... Um, we both come up with stuff separately and then come back. We're trying to do like one collaborative, how we would do the entire fourth movie. And so I was just going to start with like, what villain are we the most interested in? Um, and I, I had some that I was excited about there. Okay. Then let me pitch you my villain. Cause I came yeah. up with this and I kind of liked it, but, uh, we introduced Gwen Stacy in the third movie, which we is did. fucking banana. <laughs> <laughs> In the same time to introduce Gwen Stacy. No, that wasn't a problem with the movie, by the way. I think it's totally fine that they did it. It was, it, it was bananas. But yeah, it... she she serves her purpose and she serves it well. But my thought was, if you introduce Gwen Stacy, uh, Miles Warren, aka the Jackal, is on the board. Okay. And here's my thought: I'm not. I don't want to kill Gwen. I don't really want to kill MJ. But Peter just lost his best friend. His aunt's really old, and his whole motivation is that his Uncle Ben died, and you have a crazy bastard whose whole thing is cloning so people for no reason. you're doing a clone saga. Not a, no, 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 not, a, not like a full clone saga. Well, yeah, kind of a clone saga, because clones will be involved. But, like, you have the Jackal show up, and he presents Peter with a, like, I can bring your best friend back. I can bring your uncle back. Here's a deal with the devil with a character all about responsibility who is at a very low point in his life because the only his best and only friend has just died. His relationship kind of isn't in a great place. And I'm assuming with our fourth movie, we can just kind of kill Aunt May off. So he doesn't have like any of his parental figures left to guide him anymore. And the crazy mad devil man is going to offer him a chance. And the, with a character all about responsibility, what does he do? I think that's something more than nothing. And the Jackal is one of the characters who we haven't seen on screen yet. It's true. I like that idea. I'm going to also give you my pitch, and we will see if we can work these things together or possibly just Famously, say, the Sam Raimi movies have a lot of villains in them, so give me what you got. I don't know that that's true. The first one has... I mean, the first two only have one villain apiece, really. But um, the third one does have three. So my, my most interesting... The character that I was the most... I would be the most interested in seeing in this franchise would be the Chameleon. Because, A, classic Spider-Man villain who has never shown up on screen, on the big screen before. Uh, and B, more importantly, is, I think, a really good opportunity to throw conflict at Peter like a motherfucker. I think that the chameleon's whole deal um, in the comics is probably one of the most upsetting to me personally, as far as, like, giving Peter conflict in his life. Having... Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little less interested in the sense of, in the, like, who can you trust element of Chameleon, and more interested in, like, the, oh, the Chameleon is setting out to, like, ruin Peter's reputation at all times. 
angle, which they sort of did with Mysterio in the MCU version, but, like, what if we did it, but, like, better in, in the Sam Raimi way where it, like, actually has consequences. Or we're going to talk about it in the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> My concept was you have this character who, in the third movie, like, Peter's whole, like, motivation is that he's getting super obsessed with what like people are thinking about spider-man like more so than he's caring about like what spider-man does and they like sort of resolve that in the movie but like not really and so that seems like ripe unresolved character ground that we could poke and prod the responsibility question from yeah just real quick because the thought re-entered my mind everyone was wrong about mj being unreasonable in that oh third God. movie like when mj she, did nothing wrong she i mean did, she did one thing wrong but she immediately felt bad about it and tried to make it better yeah like her whole thing of like my career is going up in flames and the only thing you can focus on right now is like your relationship to the public and spider-man is not an unreasonable thing to ask of your significant other like yeah. hey block out some time for me and like yeah i get it you just heard a police siren and you have to go be spider-man but like you don't have to be Spider-Man all the time. There is a time where you could just sit down and listen to my fucking problems. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's completely goddamn reasonable. Totally from the, like, misogyny era of online film criticism yeah. is what was happening there. R.I.P.M.J., you made a lot of good points. Yeah. <laughs> Peter's being a dick in that Peter's movie. Peter's being a dick in that movie. That's the whole thing with that movie. I think, yeah, because my jackal is predicated on what... Because we've both landed on, like, what these movies do quite well, and that's throw conflict at Peter like a motherfucker, ruin Obviously. his life. You can attack the one thing he has left, which is the public relationship to Spider-Man, and then at this low point, the jackal's like, hey, what if you got to live with no consequences? I can erase pro the problems of all those dead people. I can bring them right back. Just give me your, like, Spider-DNA so I can not go make, like, Kane or whatever. <laughs> I promise I won't do anything weird with your <laughs> spider DNA. I promise I'm not going to make Kane with your DNA. <laughs> I, won't, I won't make Kane. I won't make Ben Riley. I won't make Spider-Side. Nothing. This is a different format than we usually do. Yeah. Where do, we, where do we go from here? Yeah, what do we do? I, I th So we're both clear on, like, yeah, we can just mash both of these ideas together and they can gel pretty well, right? They, they seem like they fit pretty well yeah, together. Yeah, this feels good. I think, how far after Spider-Man 3 would our Spider-Man 4 take place? Let's, let's iron out some of the... Because we have the villains, now let's iron out some of that Peter stuff. What's going on in his life? Okay, let's say it's 2010. Okay. That just seems like a reasonable number of years after the previous one. It's two years, and then two years, and then three years, and then three years. Um, so I, um, that makes Peter, you know, an, an adult. He's out of college at this point. I really like high school science teacher Peter as a way to go for adult Peter Parker. Um, I've always found that to be just, like, frankly, more interesting than, like, Avengers Peter or whatever. Not yeah. that there isn't Avengers in this world, so... And, and I think that opens up, like, a whole lot of options for us in terms of, like, Peter has a real grown-up job now. That's a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. And he has, like, a lot of kids to look after. And that's a way that we can throw responsibility at him, too. Does he, like, fuck up his teaching job? There's, like, suddenly, like, kids relying on him. Um, and And... Having, you know, kids be disappointed in you is, like, a whole different thing than having your aunt be disappointed in you, um, which we haven't seen in the movies, but would fit really well. It seems, like, natural at this point for him and MJ to be married, but I kind of don't want them to be, because I don't think that they earned that at the end of the third movie, about them getting back together. 
Um, because Peter was a piece of shit to her. And does Peter even say I'm sorry? I I don't think he does. <laughs> the words I am sorry. I don't believe he says I'm sorry. So I think like relationship wise, like it's maybe a little bit too. Oh, this has been said and done to have it be like Peter is trying to get MJ back or whatever. But I think that or trying to like impress MJ. But I think maybe you could do like. MJ hasn't spoken to Peter in a while and towards the like at some point in the movie something puts him back in her path he or like one of them wants to um make that relationship or even just that friendship work again and maybe we have Peter like mm. I think we do something different I think we give Peter a new love interest. I was just about to say, like, maybe... Peter's dating someone else. Maybe he's dating Liz Allen right now. Yeah, or... yeah. I, th I think I think this movie's relationship with Peter and MJ is just, like, really mending the bridges of trust of their friendship before anything else. I don't even know if they get together by the end of our Spider-Man 4. I yeah. think Peter's he's dating someone else. I respect that. Peter's allowed to date other people. Maybe he's dating Betty Brandt because she's hot. She's so hot in these movies. <laughs> she's so hot in these <laughs> so movies. Hot in movies. <laughs> it's crazy. And I think if Peter teaching kids, then maybe our Miles Warren is a colleague. Ooh. You know more about the Jackal than I do. This is true. How much Jackal lore do you want? How much Jackal lore do you think is appropriate? Okay, so the Jackal was a college professor who had an unhealthy relationship with Gwen Stacy that he himself recognized was weird because he's like an old man and her teacher and when found out that Spider-Man got Gwen Stacy killed blames Spider-Man for the death of the love of his life and becomes a supervillain and dedicates his life to making clones and the original clone he made was a Gwen Stacy clone makes a Spider-Man clone one time and it's like three issues and then it becomes a clone saga we're not getting into that but his initial motivation is you killed the woman I'm in love with I'm going to try to get revenge on you and or bring her back, whichever one sounds the easiest. And he is a character with a specific motivation and then becomes like the Joker, <laughs> but makes clones and just like a cackling madman. <laughs> okay, so since we are definitely not killing Gwen Stacy, Gwen Stacy didn't die in these movies and we have no particular interest in doing the death of Gwen Stacy or of Captain Stacy. The Jackal definitely wants to get cloning in order to... Um, uh, like, bring back a loved one of some kind, right? The Jackal, he's trying to clone not Gwen Stacy, um, but somebody. And possibly somebody who... Somebody whose death Peter had a hand in. Hmm. Um, I'm wondering... It could be, like, Harry, or it could be, um... Go back to the, the the criminal who killed Ben in the first one. I don't really like that. Yeah. I'm just thinking of... Here's an idea. Tell me what you think about it. Yeah. What if it's the reason, like, I need your spider DNA is because he has clones, but they're imperfect, right? They're like sort of Hydro-Man clones, and they have like a 12-hour lifespan, but he right. can keep that charade long enough to be like, look, you can hang out with Harry, and then like Harry doesn't show up later for unspecific reasons, and so like the thing he needs is like some science mumbo jumbo of the specifics of peter's dna sequence because his weird freak dna will allow the clones stability for something so like he has clones with like the 12 minute lifespan and is trying to convince peter like no no no, i can do it i just need some of your sweet spider dna for completely non-specific reasons so here's the problem that we've run into with this pitch um is that currently um giving him the dna is the right thing to do it's just <laughs> unequivocally is is ethically and morally correct in every way. 
Um, and so we gotta figure out some reason that the, that the cloning is, is bad and evil. Um, why is the cloning bad and evil? Well, you make the jackal a crazy person. I don't want to just make the jackal a crazy person. I lose so much interest in the jackal when he just becomes a cackling madman. What sort of power indiscrepancies would present themselves if you are a high school teacher who can make clones? Wherein can... Uh, abuses of power enter themselves. I'm immediately picturing the West World, and I don't know if I want to lean into that or against that because that doesn't. I don't know how in line that feels with the Spider-Man trilogy. Maybe we could connect it to the Chameleon plot in some way. What's Chameleon doing other than ruining Spider-Man's reputation? Why does he want to ruin Spider-Man's reputation? Yeah, I mean, my 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 first thought in terms of Jackal stuff is that the power discrepancy that it creates, um is mostly, you know, if that power gets in the hand of capital, which is a, a realistic problem to be considering, but maybe doesn't necessarily feel quite as true to what this particular franchise is. With this franchise mostly being about, like, specific guys running around doing specific evil things, representing the, like, dangers of not using your powers with responsibility. Okay, wait. Responsibility. Peter. Kids. Right? These clones would be your kids, and he is not attentive to them, and that is mirrored in the ways that, like, being Spider-Man is making Peter not not attentive to the kids he is in charge of. So that's like a parallel between Jackal and Peter. Is that anything? So, so the Jackal is making clones, but being a piece of shit to the clones, and the clones currently have, like, a 12-minute lifespan, um... And probably then they, like, die horribly. And it's not, like, a pleasant experience. And the Jackal needs the, like, super spider DNA to stabilize the clones, right? But I'm thinking the goal isn't to... Like, what if the, the, the super spider serum DNA um, doesn't actually... I don't know if it doesn't actually give them a long lifespan. Like, if he's, he's not actually looking to... God, I guess this sort of takes us away from the original thing, but I'm going to keep talking and it'll it'll give you something to work off of. Um, but he's not actually looking to give the clones a long and sustained lifespan. He's not trying to, um, you know, give his Gwen Stacy equivalent a long and happy life. He's looking to secure funding for his experiment um, or to get, keep his Gwen Stacy around just long enough to uh, uh, spend some time with her without needing to keep her around long enough to... Um, uh, have to worry about any of her womanly needs and, 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 uh, you know, brain baggage or whatever. He, the, the serum doesn't end up being about, like, making it stay longer. It's about making it, like, look better to other people, maybe, or, um... Okay, if our jackal is just trying to get the spider DNA to have, enhance, like, the aesthetics of the clones... And the chameleon's power is all about aesthetics and people's perceptions. There's something there. We can connect these two dots. I'm gonna talk and see if this any all of this makes any sense. Right. Act one. We introduce Peter. We introduce his new high school setting. Um, uh, Peter has started to take care of Aunt May in her 
um, uh, growing elderliness. She is um, at the point where she can't quite take care of all of her needs on her own. So we find that Peter um, is taking care of her as well. We start very much similar to Spider-Man 2, um, where he is overwhelmed with the responsibilities of being Spider-Man and simultaneously teaching this um, like cadre of science kids at his high school. We get to maybe like see this after school club that he's running that he's always like late to or like has forgotten to grade his kids homework or whatever um and also trying to take care of aunt may at the same time is the same thing but all of the like the like intensity and importance of the pressures have leveled up um inciting incident happens um in two parts one part is when mary jane um uh when he he happens to run into mary jane one day um and uh decides to try to remake a connection with her um and the other is when um we hear from I think probably uh, the the is when the jackal makes a turn for the first time. The Peter's colleague, the jackal, who we meet, um, probably I think is someone who Peter admires for a while. Maybe someone who we see step in for Peter um, when he is running late in a lot of his experiments and a lot of his like work stuff. Um, the jackal is somebody who picks up some of that slack, and so we get to like the jackal pretty quickly. Um, uh, but the jackal also, we come to learn, has been like doing, he's, you know, teaching the genetics class or whatever, and he's been working on his own little experiments on the side, and we see him clone, you know, um, a ladybug or so, or, you know, we have him clone a spider, right? Because it's, yeah, you know, it's cute, cute or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, something goes wrong, I think. Peter um, gets home late from work or something and Aunt May um, has died in her sleep. It's a situation where he really feels like he should have been there, but he wasn't there. But it's like not strictly his fault that she died. Like she was pretty old at the time anyway, and she was clearly on her way out. But, but Peter's he, all about placing the weight of the world right. on his shoulders. Um, so he feels like shit about it, and he's console. He's like talking with his like friend, the jackal, whose name I have already forgotten about Miles it. Warren. Miles. He's talking with Miles about it. It's really confusing. His name is Miles, isn't it? Um, it is now. <laughs> He's talking with Miles about it and consoling him. And Miles is like, okay, well, I have an idea. And so Peter and Miles hatch this like wild harebrained scheme to uh, bring May back from the dead. Um, and, and, you know, clone her back into existence. And they, they try it. Um, and as it turns out, uh, she can only, um, they can only bring her back. Um, let's say like in the final like hours of her life when she's like asleep and um, uh, there's like not much life to be gained out of that. Mm -hmm. And so in order to advance their technology, in order to be able to bring her back in like a more stable form or like a further back in her life form, um, uh, they need to do more research and Miles needs some of Peter's spider blood, um, uh, which Peter is... Uh, uh, happy to provide, but there's got to be a but here, right? Classic South Park storytelling rules. It feels like <laughs> you had to bring it up, didn't you? It feels to me like the thing that needs to happen here is, um, I feel like I keep going back to Spider-Man 2, like most of my influences here are about Spider-Man 2, but it really feels like Spider-Man 2 is the best Spider one. Spider-Man 2 is the best one. Um, it really feels like we need to have the jackal go crazy or something. It really needs to feel like this. It really feels like this needs to start as a legitimate interest in helping Peter. And then as it goes, the Jack, like miles loses sight of what's happening. 
and it becomes pretty clear that this guy um, while likable was not actually a stable helpful person and as he goes it becomes increasingly clear that his interest in this is not about helping bring Aunt May back his interest in this is about um, the scientific accolades it will win him getting out of this like shitty teaching high school job and into the halls of real science or what the fuck ever Peter is um, uh, horrified by this uh, by this turn that starts to happen and decides that this is a genius idea and he needs to figure it out but he needs to um, go find someone else to help him do it um, uh, Peter doesn't know anyone else who is like he's lost all of his parental figures he's having a moment of crisis where he's trying to figure out where to go from here and he has no one to guide him there's only one person he knows who could like figure this stuff out and that's Reed him Richards no not Reed Richards it's him and so he doesn't have enough time in the day to research this and get all of his responsibilities done but what he has is a cloning machine so act two Peter starts cloning the fuck out of himself without Miles's knowledge <laughs> Peter, he, like, steal, Peter does his own clone saga Peter makes Ben Riley to go out and start doing Spider-Man stuff he's making clones and having them go out and do Spider-Manning having them go do does Ben like, Riley teaching... turn into the chameleon like this Ben Riley like Ooh. fuck you I'm gonna ruin your reputation because you made me to be a slave Ooh. you dickhead absolutely that's what happened that's way better than whatever I was gonna do okay so he starts making clones the chameleon in this version isn't just like a guy. The chameleon is like a concept. Like Peter makes like a whole bunch of these clones. Like he's making a new clone every day. And what we come to like learn what starts happening is the clones are like like leaving notes for each other or or maybe there's like some memory that's transferring. You know, you get the dumb stupid fucking shot where it like goes inside of the DNA of the machine or whatever. And like there's there's memories that are being written and every time it like reclones a clone um, some of that memory carries on and so like it's not a cloning process in the end that actually is recreating a person they never find out how to do that what they are is creating a new person um, that's like some sort of a facsimile of that person um, and and that person is you know we, Ben Riley we find some excuse to call him Ben Riley so you know you spend some time with with Peter and this other guy do we think that Ben's reputation is way, way better than Peter's ever was, or is it way worse than it ever was? Ooh. Ooh. That's such a good question to answer. I think because we're calling him Ben, we don't want to make it worse, because if you make it worse, you call him Cain, right? Sure. I think... I think Ben's really adept at being Spider-Man. I think... Like, because Peter, like, he falls into a good mm -hmm. relationship. Ben picks mm -hmm. that up, and Ben can devote all of his time to being Spider-Man, so he gets, like, double the babies mm -hmm. kissed, triple the cats saved out of burning buildings. Yeah. The public fucking love Ben. They love his new suit. It's so down-to-earth, because Ben didn't have a lot of time to make a new suit, and he's a little bulkier than Spider-Man, because he can also focus on going to the gym, so mm -hmm. he just had to come up with something new, and they love this, like down-to-earth spider-man you got so much time for the city i think they love that's ben. perfect so then follow up because then as soon as that's happening peter's like okay i don't need to be spider-man anymore i can give it up i can just i can marry mary jane right he, or like i can like 
Like I've had like this per like that can be the the emotional center of this part of the movie is like Peter has this like friendship that he's trying to rekindle but he's been unable to do it because he's had all this all this other shit going on. So do we just and he's like, like I can stop being Spider I'm doing Spider Man two again fucking hell. But um I was gonna say do we do like the original plan for the Clone Saga that was like we just let Peter and MJ run off into the sunset and Ben Riley becomes the new Spider Man because that was the original plan. Is that how our movie ends? I don't think that's how our movie ends. I think that that is how Peter is imagining the ending at this point. I think that that. That's what Peter wants. And of course, it can't ever be. I would also just like to say that if we're doing clones and like clone degeneration with Sam Raimi doing some body horror. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's happening. I think that there's like a warehouse of like, there's like a, a whole school basement of like fucked up bad clones someplace that miles is just like hiding out that peter's like definitely complicit in absolutely um, we get a man spider cameo that's absolutely. a fucked up clone <laughs> and then i think once peter has fully given up uh his like ownership of the spider-man persona to ben like we've been setting up that the chameleon is around this whole time you know that's been in the background um, and then as soon as Peter does it, like he's had a couple of conflicts with the chameleon where the chameleon has been like, oh, I'm going to ruin your reputation. But then Ben like saves the reputation, right? That's like, that can be part of it. That can be like in the beginning. Like this is one of the conflicts Peter's having is this reputation is shit right now because the chameleon is taking it down and Ben repairs the whole thing and and, ben, and Peter's like, okay, I'm going to push this off on you. You can handle the chameleon. This is your job now. And then as soon as Ben doesn't have Peter's like help with that as soon as he's like doing it on his own the chameleon corners Ben and they have a scene where they talk and the chameleon is like hey I actually know Miles there's like a fucked up basement full of your dead brethren um uh, of your like dead predecessors and Ben sees it all and he's like oh my god this Peter guy fucking sucks <laughs> he's complicit in this because yeah Peter is complicit in this. And he's like, okay, Chameleon, I know who Spider-Man is. Takes off mask. Spy takes off mask. Chameleon, this is the fucking guy. Let's ruin his life. Chameleon sets out to ruin not just Spider-Man's life, but Peter Parker's. Act three uh, plays out more or less how you would expect um, uh, Chameleon and... Uh, ben and Miles, all villains coming at Peter from different angles, slash Spider-Man from different angles. Um, uh, Peter is, like, has to ultimately, to fix the problem, obviously there's a huge action climax, but in the end he has to contend with the ways in which he was complicit in this, like, horrible fucked up thing that he was happening that he was turning a blind eye to. Um, and as soon as he can do that and like apologize to everybody and also probably miles dies in some sort of horrible accident that isn't quite peter's fault you, you know that's the villains in a sam Raimi you gotta you gotta do it once he's done that and learned the value of like apologizing or whatever and not being complicit in bad shit and how not doing the bad thing isn't that's our that's our angle on responsibility not doing the bad thing isn't enough once you have done a bad thing you have to actually do the work to make it better um he can do the work to make it better with mary jane the end that's my pitch of a movie <sighs> took me about 10 minutes to do all of that but that's my yeah no i'm feeling that that's I... my pitch <laughs> give me your notes <laughs> Oh, okay. What are, what, are my, what are my notes? What are my notes? What are my notes? Um, well, the, the first one that pops out in my stupid brain is like, well, does the Jackal put on his stupid Jackal costume and get into a fight scene? He's gotta, right? He's, you gotta I mean, give him a stupid Jackal costume. You gotta costume. give him the stupid Jackal costume and put him in the fight scene. Um, 
I think we need to nail down Parker's inter like who's who's he dating in this one because uh, I, I, I yeah. like the angle of he's dating someone different how is that relationship sort of squared with the rest of this are we definitively just ending on like like the bridge has been unburned with him and MJ we've been presented with a basement of body horror and I ca- we kind of need to to do something with that. <laughs> like, I did sort of leave vague what resolving that looks like. In this. Yeah, like we're allowed to leave it vague, but we need to have a like. And then Peter euthanizes them ethically in some fashion. Uh, I think that the clones that are in the basement aren't alive anymore. Mm. Um, I think that they're like you know, um, clones that get to live for 12 hours that have since died and those are, like, their remains or they're, like, clones that were failed experiments in some way that didn't survive, you know, the cloning process or more likely a mixture of the two. So, I I don't think euthanasia is required, but I do think that, um, Peter needs to probably shut down the cloning lab because the cloning technology isn't capable of actually recreating people it's just capable of writing one person and that's ben riley yeah. um he un he unplugs the machine in the third yeah. act I, we I, we don't need to nail it out but i would just like to say on record i love having uh, you're not going to get this at all this is just for me and people who've watched the wire uh but i love a version <laughs> i love a version of peter parker who is prez Belusky in season four of the wire who quits being a police officer and just goes to teach kids <laughs> I love I love Peter Parker teaching kids. That'd be great on screen to have. Where does Ben end this movie? Because we probably just killed the jackal and the chameleon. Yeah. But what about Ben? I don't know how I do or don't feel about this, but what if Ben and MJ, like, work? I thought of that. There's kind of something to that. I like the idea that this movie ends on a note of, like, MJ and Peter are going to be in each other's lives and that doesn't need to be romantic. And I kind of like giving her someone who will be like, hey, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention to the fact that you lost your dream job. Yeah, I think, because, like, the way that you have to, you, you kill the jackal, right? Um, and Chameleon, you, I don't know, throw behind bars or whatever. Or maybe you kill him too. But it seems like with Ben... The situation really needs to be that you're in a final climactic fight scene with Peter and Peter, like the ultimate lesson, the way that he has to defeat Ben is by not fighting back, right? At some point is by putting up his hands and by letting Ben punch him a bunch and just absolutely refusing to punch back. Like that's probably the scene, right? Is Ben is just like wailing on him and Peter is just like totally hands up refusing to hit back end scene of pokemon the first movie with like one pikachu just hitting and hitting and the other pikachu just refusing until the first pikachu is sobbing like why won't you hit me back and and peter's like i'm sorry like they reconcile that way right as peter is like i did you wrong um i you know i didn't know this was happening but i i didn't know because i didn't want to know and that was wrong for you and i'm sorry and I will do everything that I can to make this better for you. I will shut this machine off if we can, we can, we can shut this machine off if we work together, yeah. probably is how it happens, yeah. right? Um, and so they get to like reconcile that probably at that moment, like, like afterwards they finish that. And that's when like 
Ben is like, what do we do now? And Peter's like, well, I guess you get to... Like, I'm not going to make you responsible for any of this. You didn't ask for any of this. I can I can teach the kids and I can go back to being Spider-Man. Um, and Ben's like, what'll... Well, what'll... Well, what, who will I be if I'm not Spider-Man? Because we've been at this point calling it Peter and Spider-Man, right? Those are the two characters is Peter and Spider-Man. Yeah. And and then at that point, Ben picks the name. He's like, I've always liked the name Ben. Yeah. Um, and so Ben gets to go off and be with Mary Jane at that point. I like that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Who are other Peter love interests? Like I like I know there's Betty Brandt, Liz Allen, Betty Brandt. Um, God, I can't think of the other ones. Being Kitty Pride for a minute, I think. Yeah, Black Cat. Uh, I feel like even Silver Sable flirt occasionally. We could all just we could also just make one up. You're allowed to just like invent a new uh, Peter love interest kind of of the week. Uh, Silk, but Silk wasn't around when these movies came out. I feel like yeah, I. I think the thing that happens here is that Peter has a girlfriend who we just call Kitty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that honestly that feels very true to this franchise um is peter has a girlfriend who's just called kitty and we don't ever acknowledge that that is probably kitty pride but it definitely is if you know who that is and yeah. you never see her using superpowers but the comic fans go oh i bet that's kitty pride you don't see her not using superpowers <laughs> she gets she gets out of a scene and we don't super see why but you get the feeling it's because she can like, go through walls it seems like she's probably not the biggest part of the narrative anyway. Yeah, I um, think I think you do a thing most movies don't do, but you just kind of have a happy couple. Yeah. They just they just they just kind of work. Yeah. Uh, he's 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 internalized the lesson of be more attentive to your partner's problems and like that is a lesson he's learned, but Mary Jane hasn't allowed him the space to enter in her life back until like, you know, halfway through the fucking movie. Yeah. And then in which case he Yeah, this movie is all about Peter like proving responsibility is making amends for the thing so the final the final fight with ben does have to be throwing up my hands and going i'm sorry yeah 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 this is a pretty good movie i like that i like <laughs> I, I like our spider-man 4 <laughs> what do we need to like kind of inject some sam raimi juice yeah because this is a very devin amber autumn pitch yeah there's we definitely have like you let Sam Raimi's horror stuff show up in the creepy dead basement. You have like the weird shots of like genetic memory when you make the clone of Ben Riley. There's definitely heavy shadows going on in that. Like I can like when we described the basement with the clones in it, I can see the ways in which it looks like a Sam Raimi flick. I think we need to inject some of that juice into like more other things. Like how did like Sam Raimi's Jackal? What does he look like? What what are the director's notes he hand to whatever actor we pick to be the Jackal? Also, we're allowed to cast this. Do we want to come up with oh, casting? Oh, we absolutely should come up with casting. Ooh, could Amy Adams be Kitty? <laughs> yeah, we can make Amy Adams be Kitty. Yeah. Robin Williams is the Jackal? Like, is that just crazy enough to work? Ooh. Ooh. Because he's very good at being your friend and also very good at being threatening and much as I don't want to do the Jackal as the Joker, if you hand him Jackal as the Joker, he could also make... He's a versatile actor who could do all the things we kind of want out of this Jackal. Ooh. I really like that. Like, we're only eight years removed from death to Smoochie. 
Yeah, I kind of want to see a sinister Robin. I'm. I think I. I think, I think I'm. I think sort of I'm sold. I think yeah. I think I love Robin Williams here. Robin Williams as the Jackal. <laughs> also, an observation Noah made is these movies are very quick to point out like kids love Spider Man, so actually like introducing kids with names to be members of the supporting cast just yeah. kind of makes sense for what these movies are doing. Let me pitch you a, ch- a chameleon. All right. Lawrence Fishburne. I'm making a lot of intrigued faces Because I'm so intrigued because, like, I think the thing about the chameleon is, like, nondescript can be anyone. And I don't know if Lawrence Fishburne has a voice that could not be anyone. But at the same time, you cast Lawrence Fishburne, you're going to get your money's worth. I, like, I don't know. I guess, in my mind, the chameleon is... It's like, how much can you get an actor who's going to perform with their voice and with their body? And Lawrence Fishburne is going to give you that. Like, possibly, like, like probably when he goes through the chameleon routine, you put someone else's voice on it, right? You, like, when he talks as if he's Peter, you use Tobey Maguire's voice. And so you kind of want somebody who is going to be sort of distinctive in, in chameleon form. That's my. It's my thought. If you wanna, if you wanna go with like a the most generic person we can find, we can do that too. Uh, probably like Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I like this one. I think I do like uh, Mike Lawrence Fishburne. But I'm just gonna say it out loud to see yeah. your reaction. Yeah. Keanu Reeves. I love Keanu. I don't see Keanu <laughs> as the chameleon. I don't think it works for me. Yeah, I was just throwing it out to see. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, I think Lawrence Fishburne, and you haven't you haven't seen this one, but there's a scene in Andor where a character who like is the man op- like funding and operating all of these terror cells who will one day become the resistance. Like he plays a role like in in universe, and you see him like go through the process of getting into character. And I think Lawrence Fishburne does that in his spooky chameleon lab when he like Ooh. adjusts his throat and Tobey Maguire's voice comes out. Ooh. Like, like, he's an actor, and he That's has really a good. process. Yeah. Okay, well, there's clearly, like, a transition shot where the jackal is, like, has DNA come out of a syringe, and that teardrop of green DNA becomes, like, I don't know, Spider-Man swinging into the bridge or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what are we trying to pin down? Oh, we forgot to talk about how the Sam Raimi trilogy thing climaxes in our show. Amber, would you like to talk about the time you met Sam Raimi? I did meet Sam Raimi briefly in college. He was giving a Q and A at my at my college at my at my university that I went to, um, and I went to it, and I stood in line afterwards to talk to him, and I talked to him at the end, and I had nothing useful or meaningful to say to him. Um, I was just like, "Tell Ted I said hi." <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but my, my impression of Sam Raimi is that he is genuinely extremely folksy and charming. I'm pretty sure he's a conservative, like he's a known conservative working in Hollywood. Um, and sometimes when you're conservative, it means you're folksy and charming. It just happens from time to time. Yeah. Okay. So what are, like, I like, I wish it was a more interesting story that I stood in line for him at a Q and A and he seemed nice. Hey, you told him about the thing and I remember you saying, he was like, Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Okay, so what's a Sam Raimi film look like? He has a comedic horror sensibility. It's very high camp. 
I think he does a little more didactic. I think he will tell you the themes and messages of his story. I think mm-hmm. he likes to, ab- like, not abuse in the sense of, like, the motherfucker who just threw birds at a woman the whole day whose name has eluded me all day, but, like... Hitchcock? Yeah, and he's not a Hitchcock, but, like, he likes when his lead is tortured in the text of his film, yeah. right? Like, half yeah. of Evil Dead comes out of, like, man, this Bruce Campbell motherfucker has a really punchable face. We do gotta figure out where Bruce Campbell fits into this. <laughs> we do have to figure out where Bruce we Campbell We do gotta figure that out. Yeah, I mean, so much of it is executional, right? So much of it is just, like... He has a directorial style. Yeah, and I guess the the question is, how do we make the bones of the piece feel more like a Raimi joint? Is this Bruce Campbell, do we give him his meatiest role yet, and he's the principal at the school Peter works for? <laughs> I love that. I love that Bruce Campbell is the principal, and he, like, calls in Peter to chew him out one day, right? <laughs> yeah. Child, Peter, how... I, I don't have a good Bruce Campbell I learned as I went to his sentence, but it's, Peter... How are no children going to be left behind if you're not even grading their papers? <laughs> you can't say that. They're trying to... Um... One of the things about those movies that I think is really remarkable is as much as you can't talk about them without talking about 9-11, like 9-11 is absolutely inseparable from understanding the success of these movies. Um, these are not political really, movies. They don't get swept away in the like post-9-11 jingoism for the there's like one big flag in part three and obviously one and two both have their like you mess with one of us you mess with all of us go new york moments but they really do not like they don't feel politically sour in the same way that a lot of movies of the same time do yeah these are neither hyper jingoistic or hyper cynical this is it's not the wire it's not team america action force I can't think of other movies right now because I don't know movies all that well. Uh, but you're right. It's it's neither of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Principal, mad at Peter because Peter not doing... Because you need someone to be mad at Peter for not doing this job. Yeah, of course. And Bruce Campbell is a funny guy to do that role. <laughs> I'm curious about where the Daily Bugle staff are and all this. Are they still in this movie? Hmm. Um because they're important recurring characters in all three of the previous movies, and I kind of don't want them to just be gone. Yeah. Is he still doing some free... Like, he gets a real job there during the third movie. Yeah, shit. Does he still have a relationship with the staff there? Does he still sell them pictures from time to time? Could our chameleon be the way into the paper? Because if his thing is like, I want to ruin his reputation, it works really well if he works in, like, the outlet that is most invested in making sure you the public hates spider-man that's perfect i love that and that uh, keep uh, i know we said he's dating kitty but you know what what if we change our mind he's dating betty brand because she's hot <laughs> you just want more of elizabeth banks in it yeah that's fine all right sure <laughs> fuck fuck having an original character no i'm fine with having an original character i just let, let's keep the original character i just wanted to say that off. You just want to reiterate how hot we think we think Betty Brant is in these movies. She's really hot. She's so fucking hot, you guys. <laughs> Do we want to figure out what MJ's like conflict is? Because we have like where this movie ends with her in relation to uh, Peter and Ben, but we yeah. don't know what she's doing. Yeah, and we don't. She's not a damsel. We we promise. We fulfill the promise, I Sam. Promise Raid. You, Kirsten. <laughs> You're not gonna be a damsel. In it's not happening. We are not doing it. Peter is his own damsel in distress. 
That's fucking right. Do we kind of clerks her? Because I was in my head, I was like, is she thriving? Is she girl bossing? But what if she's just like, you know what? Being a waitress at this jazz thing is kind of nice and pays my bills and I'm a little satisfied. That's not a lot of like meat, but is that kind of where it ends? What are you thinking? MJ has just gone off and um, had some other huge big experience off screen. Had a big breakup. Or had a near death experience, or she's had several of them. Um, well, yeah, I guess, I guess, maybe that one doesn't work quite as well. But um, something, something big and dramatic happens in her life um, while she's out and about in the world that brings her back to her old neighborhood and seeking the comfort of like an old friend who she hasn't spoken to in years, and that's why she's returned to Peter. Is something's happened in her life? I'm really sort of inclined towards big breakup. Um, I don't know who I've, who else Mary Jane dates over the course of the comics. Who can we name drop? Um, the fucker from Spectacular Spider-Man, Liz, Liz's brother. They have a fling. And Spectacular Spider-Man, he becomes Bolton Man. Or Betty Brant's brother, who's crime master years later and dies in, like, Amazing Spanish. What, like, fuck? And who dies in, like, Spectacular Spider-Man, like, number seven. So we, we idly reference one of those. MJ Ned Leeds. Out. She was dating Ned, Ned. Leeds. She, we idly reference, she was off on some grand adventure with this fucking guy, Ned. Um, and he broke her heart. And also, um, she kind of ended up, it seems like, sort of financially invested in the whole thing. So she's a little bit broke right now because that's very on brand for her. Yeah. And she's ended up Maybe even, like, she's back in her dad's old place, and he's not there anymore. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he's moved out. We probably don't even, like, find out. But it's her place now, and she's, like, back in the place where she and Peter grew up. And um, for her, it's, like, this sort of feeling of arrested development. Um, and he sees it as this chance to, like, have a little do-over um, because it's, it's, they've gone back to that spot. Um, and he gets to go back to... That even gives us a wonderful moment where... You recreate um, their conversation in the first movie when it's like, you heard that? Uh, he gets to... He gets to... That's good, too. That's not even what I was going to say. I um, I was going to say, you have a wonderful moment. Aunt May is dead at this point. Um, he They like go back to the house, and somebody else owns that house now, but they're in Mary Jane's backyard. Um, and it lets them have a moment where in like, some sort of like moment of uncertainty... Peter gets to recall something that Aunt May, like, they're having a quiet conversation in the backyard, and Peter's like, this is something Aunt May told me here. I had, like, almost forgotten about that conversation until I, like, saw that spot again. And it, you, you know, you get to do the whole thing, and it's and the in the little alley, and it's kind of quiet and dingy, and it's dark outside, and that's a Sam Raimi moment. Yeah. Do we want to iron out some of the interpersonal stuff? Like, what is the connective tissue between her and Ben? Why are they a happy couple that functions? Yeah, but I feel like I've been talking a lot, so do you have anything for that? Yeah, I was, um, what do I have to say? Um, I think there's a bit of, like, you pointed this out, where, like, some of Mary Jane is, like, kind of a nerd fantasy, where, like, the nerdy guy gets the hot girl and she can be the very forward one. Um... But you have someone whose life has not gone exactly the way she would have liked in Mary Jane, 
and in Ben you have someone whose life is kind of directionless and would sort of need someone to point it in a direction. Like, Ben doesn't really even have a dream, and Mary's kind of uh, failed hers a few times, but she knows how to start those paths and how to keep walking once you've stumbled, and Ben has done nothing but stumble now that he's forged his own identity. I think they see a path forward together with each other, and there are a lot of things about Peter that Mary likes, and she can see those again in Ben, because that's where Ben comes from, but she, he does, she, Ben doesn't have the hang-ups that made that relationship fail, and so... In some ways, maybe it is a do-over because Mary Jane is going back home and there is comfort in this guy, but he's also uniquely different from Peter, and the fact that he is uniquely different is why this relationship gets to flourish, and the last one kind of didn't. That's that's most of what I'm seeing connective tissue-wise, and I think you just kind of say, like, and there's charisma between the yeah. two. You say it's cute, and because we're just pitching things, it is. Uh, this has inspired me to say also... I kind of have been sitting on, like, okay, well, does Ben, like, if we've been having 12-hour clones, uh, what's the deal with Ben getting to live on? And here's my thought, is that, um... The power of love. No. Um, <laughs> it's 12-hour clones by default, and the way that Ben lives, um, is he is able to live because he has, like, super spider powers, right? Obviously, like, that's the thing, but super spider powers by themselves are um not enough he needs to like synthesize super science spider techno babble we find a reason for it so that he can only continue to live by giving up his spider powers he gives himself an injection or something so that you know he gives up his spider powers in exchange for being able to survive the process of being a clone and so uh, Mary Jane gets to live with the version of Peter who doesn't have, not only doesn't have to be Spider-Man, but can't be Spider-Man mm -hmm. and has to just be Ben. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, then you get to have the moment where when I was talking earlier about the climax, Peter was like, you didn't ask for all of this. Ben gets to say, you didn't ask for all of this either. And then Peter gets to just shrug. Yeah, it's that it's the speech in Spectacular Spider-Man when Peter says, "I never asked to be Spider-Man. It was just a just a bit of dumb luck." Mm -hmm. But Ben doesn't get to be Spider-Man. Am I just creating Doctor Who season four here? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I don't remember. <laughs> Devin, how could you betray our origins on the one hundredth episode? <laughs> Not the one hundredth episode. That all feels pretty cohesive are there any points you feel like we need to hit do we need anything else before we ship it does shipping it make sense for this episode ah what would i ship it even look like in this let's find out oh also we need to check off's item oh fuck god we keep forgetting about the goddamn checkoff's items in my in my defense it's like a weird episode this time yeah so. it is. <laughs> this is an interesting one because the pitch is kind of so filled out it feels difficult to interject any of the ones we have left right so would it break the spirit to kind of like reverse engineer and find just one of these and see how that would fit in, into what we have as opposed to like interjecting a new thing into what we have no i mean i think that's reasonable like you know we say it's a mask <laughs> i'm not doing masks for this you you set the rule that we can't do the ones that are obvious. Like we couldn't do a gun for for Dentha because she's already the gun master. 
I mean, a banquet of daffodils makes sense for, like, Ben gives something to MJ. I think, I think instead of just Ben doing something to MJ, there's, like, a motif of, like, Miles gives a bouquet to the clone of his uh, dead fiancé. Peter gives one to Kitty. Ben gives one to MJ. But, like, these all mean a different thing when it happens. Or rather, when Miles does it, it's a little more weird because he's our villain. But when Ben and Peter do it... It's like a, a gesture that their partner appreciates in a way, right? I think there's something there. I think it's very funny that you said banquet instead of bouquet. It's a very different word. God damn. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's not unreasonable. Like, you have Aunt May die towards the beginning of the movie, right? But mm-hmm. then much of the rest of the movie probably happens on a relatively condensed timeline, like, the funeral service gets held towards the end of the movie, and then you get to have her um, uh, gravesite covered in daffodils mm. as the as the final moment that ends it out. Yeah. And that's our Chekhov's bullshit. I think this episode doesn't need necessitate, and I ship it, because we've been ironing out relationship drama kind of the whole time, and unless we have, like broader thoughts about the fandom's relationship to shipping in the Sam Raimi trilogies, and I personally don't. Not really. So yeah, we, we're, we're good to not I ship it. Do we have fun facts apiece? Let's come up with fun facts apiece. I think the one that is so obvious it doesn't even count, but like we've been saying this since we started this tradition of watching movies, but like just have like a scene where Spider-Man beats up the Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to have that too. <laughs> just one of the little like montage scenes of spider-man doing superheroism as he beats up the shocker in one of them yeah you got one of the spinning comics and the photo is like spider-man punch shocker in yeah place. i kind of want to have a scene somewhere with michael clark duncan and it's very clear that he's kingpin from daredevil and we're kind of like ooh maybe <laughs> there's no fucking way that they would do that but i think it's kind of funny we can do <laughs> miles warren has a pretty prominent mustache in the comics so i googled robin williams mustache mm-hmm. just to see if it would if i could square this box in my head and uh looking at his mustache he's he, had one he, yeah he could he could have the miles warren mustache he wears one in the birdcage i think right yeah you know what I appreciate about this version of the, the the clone saga? What? Is that we never do the is Peter the real one or not thing. It's very clear in this movie. Yeah. From the beginning. You've been following the real Peter Parker the whole it's time. It's really clear. It's... We're not playing mind games Don't need to do that. It's... You know it's on the table. <laughs> don't need to do smoke and mirrors. It's stupid. You can just know who all the characters are and what they're all feeling. And, and it's fine. And the drama comes from that. I think my other fun fact is, like, on the commentary... Three fun facts. I have multiple fun facts. I think my other fun fact is on the commentary track. Someone's like, Sam, don't you, like... You're not a fan of the Clone Saga, right? And he's like, nah, but they let me do whatever I want with it, so I, just, I, I did what I wanted. <laughs> and there's another part where it's like, yeah, isn't this, like, Robin Williams' first comic book movie? How'd you get him to do it? Oh, we threw a big pile of fucking money at him. That's how we got him on. <laughs> I think my fun fact... um is that this movie uses a little bit of flashback footage from the original Spider-Man, um, but in this flashback footage, they forget to edit out the Twin Towers. Because um, they're just using the raw footage for it. 
And it's like minor. You, you don't notice it if you're not really paying attention mm-hmm. for it. But it becomes like infamous in like the cult fan circles that if you like look for it in this spot, you can see the twin towers in this flashback. This is like the Viggo Mortensen broke his foot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, and others, is an episode. Woo! The one hundredth episode. Yay! Thanks for sticking around. This is a longer one. We got self indulgent with us, and thanks for sticking around for one hundred. Thank you for listening for one hundred episodes. Thank you for listening to all one hundred of them. Um, it's probably one or two people who listen to one hundred of them. Uh, Reggie, Bell, Isaac. I think they've listened to all of the episodes. Marshmallow. Marsh has listened to all of them. Marsh. You and I. You are. Us, the two of us. We've listened to all of them. That's four. Who knows? Maybe even more people. Who who knows? The world is full of possibilities. Anything can happen. Including a 101st episode. Woo! Speaking of 101st episode, I know what it won't be about, and that's Gem and the Holograms. We're so saving true. that. What will our 101 episode be about? Our 101st episode um, will be about But I'm a Cheerleader. Ooh! Does this mean the 200th episode is going to be about Godzilla? I don't know. Huh. Maybe it'll be about Fantastic Four. <laughs> 300 is Ghost Rider, you know, etc. <laughs> That's... Uh, fuck you, Linkara. You go back your one-year anniversary. Our hundredth installment, we go back to pre-MCU Marvel movie. Damn, I actually do kind of want to do how we do Ghost Rider 2. That sounds fun, right? That does sound fun. Ghost Rider 3. There is a second one. Yeah, but, like, I wouldn't pay attention. Fuck fuck Spirit of Vengeance. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, are there any other fucking side-offs we do at end of episodes? This is Loopy. My name is Amber Adam, she, her. I've been Prince Devin, he, him. Our theme music is with my Kyle Alicia, who's work you can find at, um, uh, fucking... Real Ragnarok? No, not Real Hollow Ragnarok. Rib. got it wrong. It's hollowrib.bandcamp.com. Um, fuck me. It's so late. Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>